It's John here from A's for Alcoholic again. Today, I got to talk with Cam, and it was a lot of fun. She works in harm reduction. She's got eight years sober. We chatted about getting sober, about staying sober, and what sobriety means to her and to me and to anyone, and the fact that it means whatever you want it to mean. We talked about dealing in relationships, sex, love. Um, we talked about the deep resentments of racism that come up. Um, and it was just an all around, genuinely fun, lovely, great conversation. Set my day off right. So I hope it does the same for you. And without further ado, here is my conversation with cam recording in progress yes it is um so good afternoon hello and cam thank you so much for doing this i appreciate it um i found you on instagram through your um cross stitch which i which i really enjoyed and i was like oh wow okay you know because cross stitch seemingly is such a it feels like a quaint and wholesome hobby and none of the messages on your cross stitch would be <laughs> described as quaint or wholesome yes <laughs> they're yeah, quite I the opposite yeah i mean it's provocative there's no way that i could be it could be dainty like that <laughs> you know what i mean like i could use i use like dainty materials right but then they still have Oh, this one doesn't have blood on it. So that's good. But, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. um, it's coming from my soul. There's like no other option, you know, right? dainty in design, not in the in the content. Yeah, right. In the in the yeah. message. Um, and I'm ex also excited. I have another friend who works in harm reduction in Seattle. And I do have, um, you know, I'm curious about all that, too. And because also, you know, it's something that um, uh, for me, abstinence is really the only way with booze and, you know, drugs and all that stuff. But um, that's not the only way, period. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, like um, Hanson, not the only way. But to start, I always like to ask folks about, you know, your personal story and where you remember your earliest memory with alcohol. Um, whether it be with you or growing up around it um, as a child? My earliest memory, I think it was my aunt, Toadie. She, they lived in Ohio. My like parents' family lives in Ohio and we would always go home and my dad's side of the family knows how to drink. Like they know how to get it done. And my aunt Toadie's house was always the most fun. She had these two beautiful little girls and, you know, nice, it was like perfect family status. And we'd all like get together and go over there. And every time we went over there, it was like a fucking party, <laughs> right? Like they just went hard. And my aunt was always like so cool. And there was something about her that was just like, when she started drinking, there was something just so enigmatic and like inattractive. And I don't know if I had put together that that's what was happening, but it was there, right? Like it was always just kind of there. And 
I knew that I wasn't supposed to be drinking. I was one of those little kids that was like terrified of drugs and cigarettes and booze. I was like, <gasps> but there's something absolutely magnetic about the fact that when these people would do this thing, it would just like turn into this whole party vibe. And they also didn't care what I did at that point, right? Like mm-hmm. everybody got to cut loose. And so that's like, earliest memory that I think I have of alcohol, maybe other than my dad, like having a can that I can't remember. It's definitely my aunt and me already having that, that sense of always had that, that like, oh my God, this is beautiful. Like I've always had that like romanticized idea of drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, and it was, was it, you said you, you, it was just the, the feeling of being around it was that's like the first memory. Do you remember yeah. your first drink? Oh yeah. hundred. No, I don't remember my first drink. I remember my first drunk. Okay. Because my first drink, I'm pretty sure happened at those parties, right? right. Like in that, in that setting, or maybe at home, actually that's not true. My, I'm one of those like, uh, whiskey on the gums babies you know what i mean mm-hmm. they're like oh yeah when the baby cries as well whiskey on the gums i go straight to sleep like i'm definitely one of those babies but like first drunk i was 17 years old and my, <laughs> my best friend's dad owns this um this like cafe and ice cream shop and I went with her and my other best friend, Lydia, it was Monica and Lydia. And we go and Monica's sister and like best friend bought booze. And I remember going in, it was after hours, we roll into the place and I am terrified. I'm just terrified these kids are older and they're cooler. And Courtney is the name of the one person and Courtney's just looking at me and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know why he's looking at me, but it's probably because I'm not cool enough or tall enough or short enough, or I'm too black or I'm not white enough or I'm too white or I'm too fat or I'm too skinny or I'm too whatever, right? Like that's what my brain's doing the whole time. And then this bottle is produced, right? It's this bottle of Jack Daniels. And we don't have shot glasses, but we have those little ramekins. Like if you're, if you're a restaurant worker, you know what a ramekin, ramekin is? So mm-hmm. we have these little plastic ramekins that they use for like ice cream toppings. We go behind the counter and start doing, like start pouring shots. And I'm just like drinking them, right? Like this is kind of a weird experience. Like it kind of tastes weird, but like whatever. And that, you know, I had that first like alcohol induced spiritual experience, right? Like at the time it wasn't like, oh my God, but it was like, oh, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Like it was handed down, like I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. It wasn't, it was like a quiet sound of that. And like, I don't remember what the hell I did all night, but I remember what everybody else did, right? Like people, I was like, I was controlled. Um, And also like, I was better than Courtney. You know, like I was cooler than Courtney. I was better than Courtney and nobody gave a shit about Courtney anyway. So like, why was I even worried about him to begin with? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and my other friend like called her girlfriend, dropped the phone, threw up on it. My other best friend tried to like vacuum it up. The one girl locked herself in the bathroom and started this ritual of scaring the shit out of us because she'd get really drunk and then like lock herself in the bathroom and be in the bathtub for hours. It was a whole thing. But that was, I'm a, I'm a just add alcohol alcoholic. So that was it for me. Like that was it. I was like, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. It was on. Wait, somebody tried to vacuum the vomit. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. Because of, to... <laughs> right. It was in the dining room 
of, and we're not supposed to be there to begin with, right? right. Like it's in the dining room of the space, <clears throat> like talking to her girlfriend, drops it, throws up. I'm like, she's like green. I'm like, tell, get her away. And then somebody brought, there was a vacuum. So then they're trying to vacuum it up. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to be good or not, but I don't know where the jack is, but I'll have <clears throat> some more of that. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I just can't imagine being the parent in this home or the adult in this home and going to grab the vacuum or something and then finding the horrific smell. And I mean, you just have to throw it out. Like there's no, like in the thing, in the, in the I know, bag on the inside. Like, in the wheel? That's what I was always thinking, like in the wheel. I was like, why, why? I mean, honestly, like <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I had never thought of that before. And it's just like another, uh, it's another one of those moments of like recognizing the repercussions of drinking, like yeah. of my drinking, like from the start, right? Like, of course I didn't think about his vacuum cleaner. What I had to do, like I was just lit up for the first right. time, right? And now I'm like, oh my God, what did happen to that vacuum cleaner? Like we just, <laughs> like that poor man, I've made amends to that man. Like we have, I was like, I wreaked havoc on your life. Like I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and so, and so this happens and you, you, you know, we're like 17 years old and that's, I mean, I think that's about the time I started drinking too. Um, and it's just like, wow, what an epiphany. And this is going to be beautiful. And this is all that I need to do to feel. And when you talk about, um, those moments or those, those thoughts of I'm to this, I'm to that, I'm not enough, this, I'm not enough that. And there's this absolute and i don't think it's necessarily just alcoholic right but it's this human condition of wanting to fit in with wherever you're at that we yeah. have to like find some way to be a part of this group so desperately and especially at such a vulnerable age <laughs> you know yeah like yeah well i'll do whatever it takes to to for you to like me and i think oh, yeah. that's that's like such a classic trope of let's go ahead and get drunk and then all of a sudden everybody yeah. likes everybody until we start yeah. crying and fighting and <laughs> and throwing up stuff. on one another. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I also think that in that like I think that alcoholics, addicts, and like anybody kind of in the realm, right? In the realm of the A's, right? There's because there's so many A's of like Alcoholics Anonymous, M A, C A, G A, S L A A, S A, like all of the A's. I think that like our malady is that we just cannot deal with it, right? Like I need so deeply to fit in that I will do absolutely anything to do it, right? Like, because I don't, I do think that's part of the human condition, but other people seem to manage it just fine. You know what I mean? They're like, that was kind of uncomfortable, but I grew up and then I don't know, I got a car and a house and a baby and a whatever. And that's great for them. I am not the one. I, my parents are white, just flat out. My parents, I was adopted. When I was really young, my parents are white. The entire place that I lived, the entire community that I lived in was, was a white community. Um, 268 people lived in the space. There was another black person that I, that was on the mountain that I saw once walking down the street while I was on the bus and the kids on the bus called him old N words, but I didn't, I don't know if his name was John. It might've been, I don't know. So like, I grew up in that space. And so like this whole piece of like, <laughs> of like adoption um, and being like, like not taken, but like being given away from my uh, biological family 
plus being like placed in a community of no one that looks like me had there was just like the the perfect storm for this deep I need to belong right yeah. and like I had tried in so many different ways before drinking the one right before drinking was like band like I loved marching band listen I'm gonna flat out tell you I love marching band what, to this what day I lose my mind I play the clarinet outstanding the, the licorice stick yes what did you play? Did the licorice. No, no, I didn't. But it's called the licorice stick. That's the nickname, right? Yes. So I play the clarinet, and then senior year, I was a drum major, and so I conducted the band and stood in front, did all the stuff, loved it. But I had also started drinking at that point, so I at least fell off the podium like one time because I, you know, I drank a little bit too much. It happens, but like. That was the thing right before I found alcohol. When I found alcohol, I did absolutely anything to fit in with people that drank alcohol, which is mm -hmm. not super great. <laughs> you know the least. I mean? Yes, I do. Yes, like, I, I do. I had already been doing it because I'm like, y'all are, I like, I like did not, I like could not be a black woman or a black queer person in that space safely. And so mm -hmm. I had already been like, you know, when I talk about it, when I talk about it in spaces, I talk about giving away pieces of my spiritual condition to people. And that's kind of what it was. I was just like, I had the best black jokes. I had the best jokes about women. I had the best rape jokes. Like I would pull these things out when I went to spaces, kind of as like a shield to be like, hey, it's safe. I'm safe. I'm not that black person. I'm not that, I'm not a woman like that. You know what I mean? I'm more of one of the guys like, I'm not sensitive. So like I have rape jokes, like I'm not any of those things that you think I am that might be dangerous. I'm like more of one of the guys. So right. pass me the jack. Right, right. And going back just a quick bit, this this community that you lived in, what was this? You were talking about growing up in a community. of. Oh, it was literally just a mountain. I was just on top of the mountain. We were like 30 minutes, 20 minutes from Gettysburg, 30 minutes from... <laughs> 30 and 45 minutes from the other okay. surrounding town. There's only four ways onto the mountain and three of okay. them are made. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So fairly isolated in, in, in <laughs> yeah. general terms. And there were black people that were on that mountain, but they were incarcerated in two different juvenile, like juvenile detention centers. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> trying to find a place to, a place in a space to fit in is not an easy thing was not an easy thing no um so drinking at 17 now you've got you've found you've unlocked it right you, the achievement unlocked you found the key you are on your way to a successful blessed and exciting life um, oh yeah and does this i mean does it go without consequences for long no <laughs> <laughs> okay so very quickly <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not i don't even remember what happened it was in june when that happened like and by content warning, content warning so it was by june by august it was yeah it was in june it might have been early june it might have been may so in may it happened by june i had slept with my best friend's boyfriend on her birthday by august i had 
been raped at a party, which was not like rapist rape. So that's not like a my fault thing. But like I had a party at my house. It was like a whole situation. And so that happened. And I had attempted to commit suicide at that point. And then maybe, I don't know, a few months later, I also content warning, touched my first dick for a, a fifth of Jack. So like first six months did great. You know what I mean? Just like if there were any lines to, to cross across all of them, I was like, whoop. Well, and then once you've gotten past all that, then the rest is, 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 is gravy, right? Like you're like, okay, yeah. I can do anything. If I have, I have hit all these, these lows, yeah. right. Then I imagine finding a rock bottom is a little bit different. Well, they didn't feel you. like lows. You know right. what I mean? They weren't lows. They just right. were. Yeah. Because you yeah. have to do what you got to do. Right. Like, right. It always, it always makes me think of cigarettes. It's like, I, so I smoke cigarettes for, I don't know, I quit when I had, God like stopped me when I had like two and a half years of sobriety, thank God. Um, but cigarettes were always a part of the equation. You know what I mean? Like, um, I never thought about holding money back. It just was no matter what you do, you have to have cigarettes. And that's how alcohol was, right? Like alcohol yeah. was always like innately a part of the equation. And so like, if, I had to sleep with someone to get a ride to go to the place, I'd just do it. If I had to sleep with someone to stay at a place, I'd just do it. If I had right. to like do that decomprehensible like a moralization, demoralization, like if I had to do something that it didn't matter, it wasn't, it didn't feel like a consequence and it didn't feel bad. I just had to do it, right? Yeah, I remember talking with a friend of mine many years ago when another friend of ours um, had a kid and we were all very surprised and we were all very, very deep in our alcoholism at the time. And I said something to the effect of, man, how is he going to be able to afford to drink and smoke and whatever? And, and the buddy that I was talking to is like, don't worry about it. He'll find money for whiskey and cigarettes. Yeah. And it always kind of stuck with me because to me, having a child was this big epiphany and things were going to change yeah. and very little changed um, in the, in the short term, we just drank at home more where we could put the baby on the couch <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean exactly yeah yeah. So, like it's yeah. just a matter of fact it doesn't feel like a it doesn't feel like a low and it doesn't feel like a a a a, a, a bottom um yeah. and so how long does this go on before anything starts to feel like maybe there needs to be a change um i was told to change <laughs> feel like it but i was right. told change after i flipped my second car i don't that's so true after i got my second dy but i totaled my fifth car they were like you need to stop and i was like cool 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 i'm not gonna do that um actually i stopped drinking and smoked a lot of pot and snorted a lot of pills and then you know the day came where i had that drink and so it wasn't until um it wasn't until like three months before the end of my drinking Mm -hmm. that I even like made an actual attempt to stop drinking. But even then I was like, this isn't a problem. But in that three weeks, in that like three month span of time, it became, it stopped doing what it did for me. It stopped um, making my head go quiet, right? There's nothing mm -hmm. worse ranking and like expecting to just be able to operate in life. And instead you're drinking and you remember that time you got out of jail and made your mom cry 
or the time you slept with your best friend's boyfriend or the time that you stole this or the time that you lost that job because of this and lied to everybody about it, right? Like my head just kept getting louder and louder when I drank. And I was like, shit, I need to do something. This is awful. Yeah. And like getting sober wasn't the option. The option was kill myself, but I wasn't, I was also like not going to do that. I was like, maybe I can just, I had moved to Baltimore and like still had a lot of internalized racism and oppression and stuff. It was like, maybe I can just walk into a bad neighborhood and get shot. Which is like, also like super, you know, just shenanigans. <laughs> right? Like just super delusional and a bit much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's... Like, I don't want to take responsibility for any of my actions. So like, let's hope that this happens. Somewhere. Right. I don't, I don't, yeah. Killing myself would be too much respons- <laughs> personal responsibility. And I'm not into that. But if I die just because of something that happened around me then yes right yeah yeah it's amazing the 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 skewed thinking that that's just the bizarro thinking I, and it reminded me of when you talk about the alcohol not working anymore mm-hmm. and it would still be another couple of years before i quit but i remember one night where i drank a whole bottle of kettle one vodka and i was walking around the house and i wasn't drunk and i was like what the fuck how much more do I need? I was like, I need to get drunk right now. And I'm not. And the only thing I could think of was that maybe I'd had too big of a dinner. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I had too much to eat and I need to start drinking on an empty stomach. Yes. Because I drank a whole bottle. Great alcoholic thinking that's fucking awesome it was like 2012 or something i'm just wandering around this little house smoking cigarettes thinking should i go get another bottle can i drive i feel fine yeah it was it was madness it was real deal madness (laughs) and so in those three months prior to your final um, drink or you, when you finally you you start to realize that that nothing is working the stuff that was working before has ceased to work what brings you what leads you into that moment of saying maybe i should try sobriety um my ego <laughs> i there was a bunch of stuff that was happening around me that i couldn't see because i was drunk that I started to see, I worked at a coffee shop and this young kid, he was like 19 and like glowing, would come in, we'd talk all the time. Um, and he was sober, somebody broke his anonymity. And so I knew that. I He lost his job, which was close to my job. I lost my job. We were about to get, we like met at the light rail by accident. My boyfriend was with me and he was getting on the light rail with this, this other kid and we're like, yeah, let's hang out sometime. But I didn't have his phone number. You know what I mean? So he gets on the train. My boyfriend gets on the train, whatever. My boyfriend calls me and is like, hey, I just want to let you know. Like, I think this was I think this was a dumb idea for me to do this. But I got that kid's number for you if you need it. And, like, if you want to, like, hang out. And I was like, all right, weird, but okay. So I get now I have this kid's number. And, like, I'm not using it for anything, but I got it. And the people that I work with... Um, the one girl, you know, gets a DUI, she wakes up with cheese all over her and was like missing a tooth or whatever, wakes up in jail, calls calls the coffee shop I work with and was like, hey, can you call the like parent company and tell them I'm in jail? And I was like, okay. And so she gets out and is like, I'm not an alcoholic. 
but they told me I have to go to AA so it can look good. Mm-hmm. And I was wasted one night. I was like, I'll, t- I'll go with you. I've been to AA before. It's not that big of a deal. It's not big and scary. I'll go with you. Fast forward, she goes to a treatment program for two days and comes out and is like, I've seen the light. And I'm like, oh my God, you're screaming and I am hungover. <laughs> She's like, I want to come over. And I'm like, whatever. By this point in time, I had gotten fired from the job. It's Friday. It's the last paycheck that I get from that space. She comes over and is like, ah, blah, blah, blah. Just tell me all the stuff. I'm relating to everything she's saying, which I don't recognize as bad for me, right? Because she's like, I'm an alcoholic and I'm relating completely to her. And she's like, I need to go to a meeting. And I was like, shit, I know a kid that I think goes to meetings. So I call him. He hooks us up with a ride. I told her I would go with her. And I was like, shit, now I got to go to this meeting with this person. We go and we pick up my paycheck and her paycheck. And I end up in this like two seat, like this like super tiny car with two doors with this kid that's probably 19. I'm 23. She was like 24, 25. End up in this kid, this kid's car that's like, I don't even know. He's like jeweling. It was like when they had the big vapes with the like plumes. He's like pluming smoke everywhere. It's just like, yeah, I used to be an asshole, but like I came to AA and I got sober and everything's sweet. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, what did I do to deserve it? Why did I get in this car? Yeah. And I went to a meeting and it was a second step meeting. And the night before I said, for the first time in my life, I don't believe in God anymore. And the second step meeting is about coming to believe in a power greater than ourselves. I left and I was like, well, shit. That's not a God. I don't know what it is, but not like white bearded Jesus. Right. It was just hope. Yeah. I just got some hope. Um, right. Yeah. And then I've been here since. You got sober at 23? Yeah. Or 24, the jury's out. I'm not good with time. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm still, I am so, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a resentment. It's probably a resentment because I didn't get sober (laughs) until I was 38. Yeah. And so I'm constantly, you know, whenever thoughts of whenever I'm lamenting something, you know, I'm always Mm -hmm. like, if I'd only gotten sober 10 years earlier, I could have done this and this and this and this and this. And those people who get sober in their 20s, I'm just like, fuck them. They don't know what it's really like. And I know yeah. it's a, it doesn't, it's a, it's no, a, I uh, totally hear that. <laughs> I totally hear that because I think about, I thought that about people who are younger than me. Mm-hmm. Right. I didn't know that I was young. Like mm-hmm. that's the other piece is that I was going to these young people's meetings and I was like, ew, these kids are so young and they're just talking about how they love Adam Levine and shoes. And I don't want to hang out with any of them. Like I did not recognize that at all because I felt older than I have even biologically reached you know what I mean like it just it was just so heavy and so so dark that like it took me I don't know I had been three or four years sober and talked about started talking about like yeah I was 23 when I got sober and people like oh my god you're so like you're so young I was like I don't know I wouldn't have made it like I just couldn't I could not continue to do that anymore yeah well, and the things you talk about going through and a lot that a lot of people going through, go through in their act of alcoholism kind of accelerates the, um, the aging, at least psychologically, right? Yeah. Societally, the things that yeah. we end up doing and going through and experiencing, because those are things that, you know, a quote unquote, normal 17 year old or 20 year old yeah. wouldn't find themselves doing. Um, so you learn, you learn a lot about what people are willing to do, what you are willing to do 
and what people will put you through for a bottle or of booze or pills or whatever, you know? Um, so now that you are here and how, how long have you been, have you been sober now? Uh, eight years and seven months, I think. Congratulations. That's good. That's a good chunk of time. Um, and what how, so you work in harm reduction right yeah and so you you've been sober for eight years mm-hmm. i'm sure that the first couple i mean i don't know was it difficult at first or did you just click right into it like you did with the first I shot of gin? yeah i clicked in yeah i was like i was like i don't know this is weird this is uncomfortable um but that like that initial like there must be something was really helpful i had that like i had that desperation thing and i also felt like i had like this clean slate with god where i was like okay i don't know i thought you were gonna smite me but maybe you're not right like i had this like maybe it's okay and so i just dropped in and like clicked in excuse me got to you know just quickly got to nine within three months switch worked all of them um, started sponsoring people within the first six to seven months service all that jazz just did that shit went to like went to probably two meetings a day for the first year and then one after that just like going 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 Damn. um nice work. yeah i yeah and i don't know <laughs> i mean like i don't it somebody i you know like i was being pushed i really didn't want to drink again you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I really don't want to drink and die. It looks very unattractive. And I also have that, like, that that little, like, healthy fear, right? Like, I respect alcoholism. It's fucking remarkable the lengths that we will go to to kill ourselves, right? And it's so, it's so deep and it's so dark. And, like, the recovery process or the recovering process, like, whatever there's so much joy that can come from that and so much beauty that can come from that. But it's so, it's still so absolutely terrifying to me. Um, And so, yeah, I like clicked in harm reduction came, I don't three or four years in, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't have a foundation hands down. So, so let me ask you this Um, coming from a, an abstinence-based program, yeah. right? Where we say this is, it is, it is, it was drilled into my head that you cannot, you will not, if you want to stay, if you go out there, you're going to die, you know? And um, I always felt a little kind of like, settle down, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, part like- of me knew, like, okay, I get it. Like, but can we settle down? You know, there's just some crusty old guy who I absolutely love and says a million brilliant things in the span of, you know, his three minute share or whatever. But I'm just like the whole, like, just settle down. Okay. Can we, I just want to get the information. I need a little of that softer, gentler way now, but like the whole, like, you're going to die. And I'm like, (laughs) Right. So that was always my, my, my feeling when I'd be in these meetings. Um, but, but there was also a part of me still to this day that, um, knows that I could, you know, intellectually, I could probably have a drink, 
right? I could probably have one and I could probably move on with my, but in the back of my head, I'd be like, I had that one drink that while back and nothing happened. <laughs> maybe, maybe I could have like two of them. Um, and then like, uh, well, yeah. what if we, you know, like if, what if I just kept the bender to myself and didn't tell anyone, <laughs> right? Like, so that it's, yeah. and it's already escalating in my head and I haven't had a drink yet. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, yes. um, and you know, I work in a restaurant and they had some non-alcoholic beer and someone's like, this tastes just like regular beer. Do you want to try some John? And they know that I don't drink. Yeah. I was like, no, not really. I didn't really care for beer that much when yeah. I drank and I don't want to drink something that tastes like beer because it usually tastes like shit and it's just empty cat. What's the point at this point, you know? Yeah. And so, and non-alcoholic beers are not always fully non-alcoholic and I don't need to trigger whatever weird little cell is floating around in my head, just waiting to be unlocked. Like, so, you know, it's like a horror movie, right? That was just yeah. Um, you know, and it, yeah, yeah. So I was just, it reminds me, there was a movie called Dr. Sleep, which was like sort of the, uh, the, the, the sequel to the shining. And he's like locking the demons into little boxes in his head. And I'm like, that's kind of how I feel it. Like I haven't released all of my demons. Some of them are just locked in the box and we'll get there eventually. I haven't, you know, obviously I haven't, I've been through all the steps, but I guess I need, there's, I need to do them a few more times probably. I mean, it probably wouldn't hurt to go through it again. Um, that being said, my question was, and still is going from an abstinence-based program into harm reduction Mm -hmm. can seem a little, um, they're kind of antithetical. So how did, how did you find yourself working in harm reduction? So I was that old crotchety white man that was like, I gotta drink and die. Like, yo, I just straight up was throwing big books at people mm-hmm. when I first got like my first year and a half of sobriety. I was like, first of all, did you know that you can get sober? Did you know? And that life can be fucking great. And everybody's like, oh, I've been here for 12 years. Yes. And so I'm just running around like, you got to do the steps. And you got to do them exactly as they're weighing down. If you don't do that, you got to drink it down. So I did that for an extended period of time. And there's been this like evolution of like shedding of old ideas because I've heard in spaces that like our old ideas aren't just the ones that we came in with, right? Like we are consistently picking up and holding on to old ideas because like my idea from yesterday is an old idea right? Like it's a pretty green case, but like I've picked, like that was an old idea, right? That if you don't do it exactly like you do it in the book, you're going to drink and die. And so like some of that stuff started to fall away. And what happened is that I was like, what the hell am I going to do? I worked in, I was a barista, but I'm like, my body is like broken and sad. And was like, you can't do this shit anymore. And I was like, I don't have any other skills, which is not true. But at the time I was like, I've literally only been in the restaurant industry and I'm like not great at that right like I used to be really good at it but now I'm like bitch you want me to get you a fork or over there right so I'm just like not <laughs> I'm not the one and so I do this um car class and I have no idea what the hell it's called but it's for peer recovery specialists okay and so this was probably like 2014 and like this whole peer scene is blowing up I go for like a week. I do this like 30 hour course. And in this course, this guy's name is, I think it was Dr. Carol Conquest. And he's like, he's like, what is sobriety? And I was like, oh, he must not know that I'm here. And I was like, let me go ahead and let somebody else answer this question because 
you know, I know, but let me just let somebody else do it. And this guy raised his hand and he, he did, he said what I would say, right? It's like abstinence, right? Just no drinking, no any of the things. Right. And the guy was like, the Dr. Carol Conquest was like, um, no, like sobriety is whatever you say it is. And so these two start battling about what sobriety is. Cause the guy's like, no, you can't blah, 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 blah. It was just a whole thing. Meanwhile, I'm having an existential crisis <laughs> because I'm like, oh my God, what do you mean sobriety is? And this, I had this like thought pattern that was like, what happens if I, like what happens if I believe that? What happens is if I believe that people can identify what sobriety is for them? Does that mean that I can smoke pot, which is never a thing I've ever liked to do. It always made me think that I pissed myself. So I'm like, but that's what my brain said, right? It's like, does that mean that I can do stuff? And this thought came that was like, you, like, it's not, it's none of your business. Like, you know that you, abstinence-based sobriety is for you. Like, you know that to your core and that's where you need to be. So other people's lives, it's none of your business. I'm, you're not God. You don't get to say what they need. And I was like, all right. And so like, it just kind of like dropped down. And so from then I've been like continuing to build that. Cause I was like, cause that's, I really do believe that. It's like, I'm not, I don't get to say who needs what, right? Like that's not my job. My job, my literal job is to make sure that I hit, I give people the stuff that they ask for and ask them if they need anything else. Like, do you need more syringes? Do you need more Narcan? Do you need like, you know, if they're asking like, hey, do you guys have any socks? Be like, I don't this week, but we might have socks next week, right? Like, that's my job. My like personal life is to be like, do you want to be sober? I might be able to help you with that. I can put your hand in the hand of like a higher power and you guys can do that. And if you don't think you're a drunk, you don't have to be here, right? <laughs> like, but they're two different things. And it's like- yeah. I'm consistently living in that kind of paradox is really what it is. It's like, I've, I've almost always been living in this space of, I am black and I live in a completely white community, right? Like I am, I am sober and I'm in a, I'm surrounded by people who use drugs. Like, it's just kind of a, a thing that I've been in. And I trust that like my higher power, my ancestors, my God, whatever I call it in any given day. Like I trust that I'm taken care of as long as I do the shit I'm supposed to. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and you talked about originally that that feeling of God just being a feeling of hope. And I really yeah. like that as well, because it's like, oh, OK, I can because I can relate to that, you know, and constantly having the conversation about God. And it's always extraordinary. It was extraordinarily difficult for me at first um, yeah. to to come to that. Um, but helping somebody, like you said, I can put your hand in the hand of a higher power um, is, I think, one of the best things that that we do as yeah. recovering alcoholics, yeah. um, regardless of the, regardless of the choices they make. Right. Because yeah. it's like, okay, here you go. Here's the, here's the thing that I did. This is how I did it. Um, maybe it works for you. Maybe it doesn't, but it's not my responsibility if you don't, and it's not my fault and I don't need to feel bad and <clears throat> all of those things. And it's, you know, and I've met other recovered alcoholics, people with far more time than I have, people I admire and respect and, um, and they, their sobriety is, I don't drink, but, you know, say every couple times a year, magic mushrooms or whatever it is. Yeah. Right. So yeah. um, far be it for me to say, you're not 
sober enough. Yeah, it's like not my job. Right. And it's not like, I'm not interested. Who am I to be doing purity tests on people? I mean, you <laughs> exactly. know, like... yeah, yeah. That's what I, yeah, that line came to me the other day because I've been thinking like, who am I to say there's no God? And I'm like, who am I to say you're not sober, right? Who am I to say that like, you're not doing it right? Like just kind of the, who am I is like a good rule for me to live by. Cause I'm mm -hmm. like, oh shit, I am not the one. Like, I'm just not the one girl. Like I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. So you found this, this, this made more sense to you, this way of thinking of like, just helping people get through the day, um, helping them with their addictions, whether that be providing them with safety and security to fulfill those addictions if they don't want to quit. Well, not all drug use is chaotic drug use. Right. And I think right. that that's, part, that was part of the stuff is like through the, um, through the action of sponsoring people, like the the idea that I could get people sober or I could get them drunk was like, that was like another old idea that was like kind of smashed because like, I didn't know that, you know, I thought I was responsible for people when I first got sober. Like I thought I was responsible for their sobriety and all this stuff, even though people were like, nah, girl, that, you're not the one. And so it's taken a while to get to that point. And then I'm in this space where like, there are people not it just I didn't I think that I was in I was in the space so long where uh all use is chaotic use that I forgot that that's not the case right because like my mother is like the tiniest little adorable white woman she's like like five foot like 98 pounds soaking wet and frozen and she will have she will mix her wine with her wine with like soda right like fresca and then she'll have like one of them or if she doesn't do that and she has like a glass of wine and a half her she gets flushed and she tells me how much she loves me and she's giggly and then she starts crying and she passes out there are people that drink like that you know what mm -hmm. i mean i and do like, and she doesn't like like it doesn't get that far until like you know that's like i don't know once every three months if that and right. so I didn't, it took me a while to see that with alcohol. And then there are people that have been using, there are people who have been using heroin for 50 years, right? There are people that have been using heroin for 50 years that, that are productive members of society. There are people that smoke crack that are productive members of society. And like the other thing is that it doesn't matter if they're productive members of society or not, right? They're human beings that deserve they're human beings just like me that deserve like love and care and attention. And there's like the marginalization of people that use, use drugs is huge. I'm in Baltimore city. The marginalization of black people that use drugs is huge. And so just the fact that there's like this marginalization and dehumanizing, like I taking away people's ability to make choices about their own body is dehumanizing. Right. And so there are people that are like, well, if we don't criminalize drug use, then how are we supposed to send them to court where they can go to rehab? And I'm like, bitch, that is not the only way you can go to rehab, first of all. And second of all, like not everybody wants to go to rehab. <laughs> like that's like not everybody's desired choice. So like my job, like I just give people what they want and what they need. It's not my job to like be coercive or judgmental because it's it's every, I believe it's everybody's human right to make their own choices. Right. 
right. regardless if it's chaotic or not, right? Because not all of it's chaotic and some of it is chaotic and people are still using, but like, you know what I mean? Like, I can't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, a, um, I've, I've never heard it put that way, but you know, not all drug use is chaotic drug use. And yep. people have found, you know, what we, there's the, what's the, the word is um, manageable right? That we yeah. heard over and over and over in the program, it just became unmanageable. Yeah. So if it's still manageable, that's none of my business. Yeah. Well, there, it, there's a lot that's, <laughs> that looks unmanageable to me that seems to be manageable to other mm-hmm. people, or maybe unmanageable to everybody involved. But right. it's still like, it's still where they want to be and what they want to do. Yeah. And I, I mean, mean, I've lived like that, too, mm-hmm. right? Like, shit is unmanageable, but I'm still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know lots of people who are managing with, and, you know, they're still, well, we'll talk about their hangovers or how much they drank. And I find it, I find it boring, but I try to, um, I try not to judge and just go, okay, I'm going to go walk over here or that's great. Or wow. Um, the, the story of you, puking in the bathroom at the bar it's just not like it's kind of gross and you know like i'm just like yeah we don't know each other why are you sharing this with me like, just, oh shit i right? find I it mean, fascinating i love that i honestly god i'm like these people are talking about it. i'm like tell me more honey because you know you know what I mean? I'm like, I think this is delightful. And I remember being that person and people being like, girl. And I'm like, I don't, I didn't know. You know what right. I mean? I didn't know. And a lot of the time I'm like, I don't know if you're, I don't know if there will ever be this period where you want to stop or that's a thing. And so I'm like, shit, girl, I'll sit here and talk to you about that. And I will tell you about the fact that I used to pee myself when I threw up. So I would take off my underwear and my pants so that I could throw up so I could keep drinking. Right. Like I'm like, fuck it, girl. I'm not going to ruin a good night by, you know, for a little (laughs) I'm not going to ruin a good night by having to throw up or smelling like pee. Right. Exactly. Right. You, you, you had it. That's, I mean, that's, that's it. You knew what you were doing. You had a plan. Yeah. I had a plan of action. (laughs) Um, But I, I just, I, I, you know, and, and yeah, it doesn't have to be, it's really none of my business. And another thing that I, I, I found out about myself with this program versus other ones, is I went to a, um, I went to a Buddhist uh, refuge recovery meeting once Ooh, yeah. and I came home and the, the woman I was dating at the time we were talking and I said, I don't know how these people stay sober. There was no structure and it was very loose. And, and that was just my perception of it. Right. Like it's, it's yeah. got its own tenants and stuff like that. And she looks at me and goes, John, it's not them. You need the structure. You need the rigidity. You need the rules. Damn. That's why That's Damn. why what works for you works for you. <laughs> and I was like, you. you're yeah. absolutely right. Damn, Damn. it. You're absolutely yeah. <laughs> right. I was like, oh, it was me. Here I am judging somebody else's recovery. Yeah. And lo and behold, it's like, maybe just, you know, stay in your lane and Dang. do the thing that works for you. I know it was really, it was a big thing. I was like, oh, yeah, shit. what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, that was part of the, the 
the shift in my thinking as well. And yeah. to like, I've been dealing with pain over the last year and an injury and, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh God, like, I don't want to, obviously I'm not interested in narcotics, but, yeah. um, somebody's mentioning CBD oil. And I'm like, I don't know, man, like that seems weird. Yeah. And then I was like, I'm in so much pain. I'll try anything. And then I got yeah. scammed on some CBD oil that was just hemp oil and hemp oil is not necessarily bad, but it doesn't really have the same effects and so on and so forth and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But the fact that there might be something out there that can help me not feel yeah. pain every single day, I'm going to look into that and I'm not going to yeah. let something like purity get in the way of me living a better life. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the, uh, it makes me think of the book in so many ways. Like I, you know, there's the line that everybody talks about, about being happy, joyous and free, which is like, I don't remember what it is because I don't pay attention to it. To be completely honest, the line that I'm focused on currently is we insist on enjoying life. And it's in context of like, not caring the world's, not being cynical about the world and carrying the world's problems on our shoulders, which I will mm-hmm. set to the side to say that I, I will come back to that. I'm gonna put that over there. But I don't think, like, I don't necessarily think it is in God's plan for me to suffer, right? And I think that there have been times, like I broke my ankle, the whole reason I stopped smoking right after I broke my ankle because God was like, it literally removed the desire to smoke for like three days. And I was like, fuck, mm. we got to roll with this. <laughs> Cause like right, I had been right. trying, right. I had been trying and failing miserably. I was like sober, like stealing cigarettes from my roommate and shit. Like it was just a whole thing, like being late to work and like chain smoking eight cigarettes during work. It was just a whole thing. Mm. And so broke my ankle was like, no narcotics, the whole fucking thing. And then when I woke up from surgery, it was like there was a little man with a tiny bonfire in my ankle. I was like, Bop. and so I took the narcotics. Like my parents, I went home to my parents and they doled them out to me. I hated it. Um, I also didn't get high and was really confused. I was like, what is this? I was like, why do I feel nauseous? The doctor was like, you're gonna get constipated. Here's some stool softeners. I was like, bitch, I used to snort this shit on the regular. You don't know me. Nope. Turns out I got constipated and that was the whole thing. I was like, I'm going to take school softeners and eat ice cream because I'm lactose intolerant and that will help shit myself on my parents' couch. It was a whole situation twice. Nice. You know what I mean? Whole thing. Mm-hmm. My brain, after I stopped taking them, was sending me dreams. It was like, first of all, you took too many. You didn't take the right amount. You're high right now. I was like, shit, brain. Like, I can't deal with this shit. And so I was terrified to take that again i was afraid to take it again i walked around on my ankle which was still damaged and nobody believed me for a year and a half standing for eight hours at a time at a coffee shop walking around i would get picked up we would head to a meeting and be from the time i got picked up to to like going to the meeting my ankle would settle and it would take me 45 minutes to get out of the car we would miss Mm. half of the meeting because i couldn't walk Right. And I kept doing that to myself because I didn't, I was afraid to look into any other options. Right. And so I have that experience to share with people, which is great, but like, I don't need, I didn't need to do that. Right. There was a lot of like, not really listening, not really like communicating with my higher power and other people about it. I just felt like I was stuck and it's like what I had to do. And I was like, girl, you didn't, I don't think I had to do that. Right. Like, I mean, I had to because of life, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't think that's a thing that 
everybody has to do. Like, I don't have to be a pain martyr, right? And so, yeah, yeah there's stuff out. Like, there, I have friends that use, like, CBD stuff in general. And I'm like, that's great. Like, it makes you, it doesn't, like, it takes your pain away. And that's, like, what you need, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, if I, when that, if that comes up again, like, that's a space that I'll have to revisit too, right? Like, if I'm yeah. in that position, um, yeah. I totally hear that though, right? Like, you, you got to do something. Like, I, I would never recommend doing what I did in that space. It was awful. Right. Yeah. And I was, you know, and I run and I was talking to another friend of mine about running and I was explaining to her, you know, my problems, my issues, the injuries, the, the, the pain. And she's like, John, you know, it's okay. You don't, it doesn't have to, every run doesn't have to be this suffering thing. You know, you can get like better shoes. Like I would suggest you could even get, she was saying, you can get a hydration pack and you can have water while you're running on those long runs. You don't have to feel like you're, I was like, Oh, you mean I could have a little bit of comfort and water, you know, because in my mind, there's like this holdover from being an alcoholic thinking that suffering brings some sort of um, accomplishment. And I think there's something to that in the athletic part of it, sure. And running has certainly helped me much like alcohol to deal with suffering. Um, But it doesn't have to be like that every single damn day, every single time, right? I can have, I can learn these lessons through, you know, I've already, I've suffered enough. Yeah. What's another way that I could learn a lesson? So, yeah, I feel that deeply. Yeah. <laughs> so I've kind of loosened my, my, my thoughts on sobriety as well. And so that's yeah. why I'm always finding it. I find it very interesting. This, this idea of harm reduction and helping people just get through the day, even if like maybe today is not the day they're interested in getting sober or changing their life because they're who, who knows who the fuck knows yeah. what they're going through right now. Yeah. Maybe I just there's need the thing lot, I need. There's also like a lot of, when we're talking about like poor marginalized groups of people, there's so much other shit, right? Like being in a 12-step community is a fucking privilege. Like the fact that there's a space to go to at any point in time, that there's a community that, that will be there for you whether you want them to or not, right? Like we'll love you till you love yourself, that whole status. Right. The fact that like when you do connect to that and you start to like have fellows around you, there are so many opportunities for shit, right? Like I don't have a job and Kevin runs a construction company and Sarah's a restaurant, right? There are so many ways to plug in. Like I have been given so much from being in and it's it really feels like a privilege for me. And so yeah. the people that I'm serving don't have that privilege. And sometimes they don't have that privilege because they're resentful of... I mean, I don't know if it's because they're resentful of, but like some people don't want to be in AA because they're resentful of it for all kinds of reasons. Like my uncle was in AA and he was still an asshole. Or I went and they told me that I couldn't do this, this and that, right? Because it's not, the program is, it's not perfect, but the program is great. The people are the people, right? We're humans, we're going to fuck shit up. And so we do all kinds of crazy shit and then people get mad at us, right? It's a whole resentment machine. And so, and so, yeah, there's just so many reasons that people don't want to come to the rooms and are and are fucking deeply marginal marginalized because of their where they are anyway, right? And so it's like I don't I getting sober is like the last thing I'm thinking of because it's fucking cold and I don't have a place to sleep. 
right? And like, I'm hungry and my socks are wet. Or like, you know, we have like, we give out food, not food, but we give out like boost protein shakes and like candy and like sex stuff. We give out all kinds of stuff because it's like, it's not just about the fact that people are using drugs. It's the fact that they are whole human beings that have these entire lives. And like, what do, what do people need? Like getting sober is fucking hard. And like, I know the book says you can do it under any and all circumstances. And I do believe that. And I also believe that like, damn, well, it'd be a hell of a lot easier if I had a place to sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it might be like, that might be the case, but like, that book was also written by white men in the thirties, right? <laughs> like yep. white men in the thirties that had like connections. And like, even though people were done with them, they were still like getting connections. Mm -hmm. And so like, I work with, you know, I, I mean, we work with everyone, but like, you know, the black population is already, there's already so much trauma when we talk about drugs because of the racist war on drugs, which is like 145 years old, that like that space is like, I, my heart is open for that to begin with because I'm like, God damn, like there's already a lot going on there. And like poor white people have been swept up in it too, right? Poor white because, you know. Sure. You know, poor, like if you're poor, they don't give a shit who you are, right? Like it's like, it's, if you're in that, if you're poor and you use drugs, you're all in the same boat with a little bit different or maybe not in the same boat, but like two boats that are connected. <laughs> sure, yeah. One but, of them's got a little more racism to it, but yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, one's, got, uh -huh. one's got like some encounters, some different stuff, which is so the the like other piece of that quote of like we insist on being on living or we insist on enjoying life, the the like not giving into the cynicism of the world and not holding that shit on our shoulders brings me to blackness because I will be I would be remiss to not talk about this I always mm -hmm. it's just the reality is that I like did not know that I was black until I got sober and until Freddie Gray was murdered I had been operating I had not been I had been feeling things because my body has been feeling it for years this uh stuff I couldn't identify when I was younger and I couldn't identify until I got sober but like fear and discomfort and confusion about the ways that I had been treated in certain situations. And yeah, in 2015, Freddie Gray was murdered in the city. The city, we had an uprising. And in that span of time, I was like, oh shit, I am black. I have such strong feelings about this. And like from then has been this journey of unraveling internalized oppression, internalized racism, and what it means for me to operate in the world. And so like, first of all, couldn't do any of that when I was sober or without being sober. Second of all, that has changed the way that I operate in, in the rooms and in sober spaces. Because around that time I was like, well, shit, like all these people around me were like, that had also gotten sober young that were white were like, it was like their tricycle fell over and they just got picked up and put back on the track, right? And so they got the job back, they got the car, they got a dog. They got a partner, they moved in together, they got married, they're having a baby. Now they sponsor 12 other people that are also on the same track. And I was like, I'm fucking disabled, I can't drive. Um, I didn't know if I was gonna go back to school or not, I'm poor, there's all this stuff and I'm like comparing myself to these people. And I was like, shit, what's happening? And then I ended up in a space where I was like, shit, that's also like not a space, that's not really made for me. That's like white American dream status, that's not made for me and it's, it's it's more than that. There's like a, there's a ableism thing there. There's all kinds of stuff there. Mm -hmm. 
and I need to stop comparing myself. And so I started to do the work around um, interrogating like what my identity is and how I interact with my identity and other people. And so now like, you know, we talk about uh, outside issues and that kind of stuff. Like this shit is not an outside issue for me, right? Like my skin is black, which is an outside of my body issue. But like all of the stuff that like happens is very, very deeply connected to the way I interact with the world and resentments that I pick up or don't pick up. And so like that is a space that um, that I've stepped in more fully is like talking about these issues in meetings with people. I was like a golden child in the in the white rooms for a minute because I sound like this. I'm relatively cute. I'm relatively smart. Right. And so I'm like I'm like that black. I'm like token. I was tokenized as like, you know, and like I'm a little superstar because I got sober and I'm doing well and all that shit. And now I'm like, not today, girl. I roll into your meeting. I'm gonna tell you, racism, bitches. <laughs> this shit is hard. I'm like, I write white bitches out all the time. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. I go and like, say that, and people may or may not like it, but it's not for everyone, right? Everybody's message isn't for everyone. Right. Right. And so, and we're supposed to be looking for what we relate to anyway. So I go into a space and I'm like, surprise, I'm black. There's always one black person or like one person of color. And so I'm like, I got some meetings on the slide for you if you want to come. And then white people are like, and I'm like, I just quoted the book at you. I don't know what you want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're going to love it. You're going to hate it, but it might not be for you. And it took me a while to realize that not every story was for me also. Right. Like in my story, I'm not for everyone. Right. No, I mean, it's just, yeah. And I, and that's, that's, that's fine. Yeah. That's okay. Like if you're not interested, then tune out and find something else and please, please do that. And then if that doesn't, you know, it's like, I I used to say advice I was giving to somebody was about going to a meeting. And if that one sucks, go to another one. And if that one's terrible, try another one. And if that one's terrible, try another one. And so, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it, you know, it takes what it takes, but yeah, g- giving up or, or as you put it, giving into the cynicism of the world is not, is not helpful in that moment of trying to get yeah. sober and, um, you know, dealing with all of the resentments and everything, yeah. you know, that, um, and everything that's happened over the last year and a half, right. Not just yeah. pandemic wise, but <clears throat> all of the exposing of the racial inequalities that have always been here and people have been talking about and screaming about and now only now have some and i'm not i'm not speaking for everyone you know what i'll just speak for myself um that i had been able to on some level even though I had dated a black woman for five years, ignored a lot of these things, compartmentalized a lot of these things, been able to say, you know what, that is not my issue or that is not my, um, I'm not going to champion that. You know, I was like, okay, well, um, I'm more about, you know, sobriety. That's my thing. I can't, there's not really Uh, much, there's not really much I can do about racism in America. So we're just going to move on. Right. And 
So then for me to come to my own epiphanies about this and to, as you put it, fall off my tricycle, (laughs) nobody's like, yeah, John, sure. Your knee's skinned. We've been getting run over here for ever. (laughs) Right. Like, that's fine. You know, did you want some sympathy? Because now's really not the time to ask (laughs) for it. And so that's part of the other, the other half of the epiphany. Oh my God, the world is horrible. Um, Also, John, shut up. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, You're going to be okay, buddy. Um, You know, you're going to be all right. You're going to get over this. I know it hurts and I'm, I'm sorry. You're just now seeing it at 44 years old. Oh, and how, how was that? Was that lovely? The last uh, 40 years, not being able to, uh, to see this. That must have been pretty nice because, uh, yeah. you know, and then you hear stories that like, when was the first time you learned about racism? And then like all of the yeah. horrifying stories that come up. So, I mean, that's just my own personal story of the last 18 yeah. months in that respect. Yeah. So um, it's, uh, there's, there's a lot, right? There's, yeah. there's a lot. And um, so far be it that. for me to, to, to pontificate to anyone, uh, about those things, but I've also gotten a very small sliver of insight as far as the resentments that, you know, yeah. the woman that I was dating that she had yeah. um, in the in the area of race and navigating yeah. the world in a way that I never had to. Yeah. And saying, you know, and jokingly saying things to me like, you just got to go into the bank and get one of those white guy loans, you know, like that's what you need to do, John. And, and she's half joking, but also we know that's how it works. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, dealing with resentments is a, is a, is a big part of it of getting yeah. sober, but it doesn't end. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't it end with alcohol. Day. I'm a resentment factory. I can make, you know, I can make that shit up any second every day. Mm-hmm. I I also really appreciate my thing that I'm like. <laughs> so I was like, I'm sober. I'm championing sobriety. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm black, bitches. Deal with mm-hmm. it. And so, like, I go to the restaurants and there are those, like, three, like, coffee shops are, like, my favorite. And there are those three, there's, like, compost and trash and recycling. I throw everything in the trash and people are like, what are you doing? I was like, listen, I do not have time for recycling. (laughs) And so when you said, like, at that point, like, you were like, I don't have time. Like, I'm championing other things. That's what I, like, literally tell people. I'm like, listen, I am too black for recycling. Like, I can't. I am full up on championing stuff. I'm like, listen, young kids, y'all got it. I will back you, but I am not the one. I can't do it. Right. Yeah. There's only so much. There's <laughs> capacity is a real thing. Yes. Um, but also I have found that my capacity is a lot bigger than I initially thought. Yeah, right? that's true. So, but I also I, you know, I'll give you another silly little example is I was getting tired of all the plastic in my life and all the bottles and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, there's a refill center opening in my town. I'm going to go there and I'm going to bring these bottles in and I'm going to get refills on detergent and my shampoo and conditioner. Maybe it's not the exact brands that I like, but whatever, I'm just going to do it. This is my sacrifice, right? This is my... I don't get my favorite brand of conditioner. That's my sacrifice in this world. Good yes. So I go there and it cost me like $30 to fill up three bottles. And I was like, you know what? I can't, this is cost prohibitive. 
Um, yeah. There's got to be a better way. And you know what? I think fucking Clorox and Dove, they need to be the ones to stop doing this shit, not me. So, and that was- You said it! You said it! That's what I'm screaming about it. Do so not give like, me another paper straw! Right? I'm just I'm not, I'm done shake. carrying that up here anymore. Yes. So- and I, I, so, you know, what, I, what did I do in 2020? I, 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 I stopped caring about plastics and started caring about racism. I don't know. I mean, that's like, <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it, yeah, what, yeah. and on top of that, I'm, you know, dealing with being sober all the time because yeah. all I want is a fucking drink. And that's not entirely true, but somebody, I think yeah. somebody asked me like, do you want a drink? And I'm like all the time. Yeah. And the real truth is i just want relief yeah and i'm trying to figure out what that is yeah so i hear that deeply <laughs> yeah i'm in i just started going to sex and love anonymous because i'm like can i get relief from this dick and the answer is no <laughs> it works for a while but i'm running out of time with it so i'm like <laughs> let me take my ass to slaw and is that does what? i'm can i ask is that working out well is that i mean it's a roller coaster and it's yeah. because it's different because because it's not about sex and it's not necessarily about love it's about relationships and i can't go abstinent from relationships right and so it's very confusing to my little brain right where right. i'm like how how do i have appropriate relationships with people if i can't just cut them off right i'm like at sobriety i'm like abstinence shit just don't do that and do some other stuff great but like i sex is a thing that will happen again in my life relationships happen every second of every day and so walking through this process and and like like seeing the ways in which i uh i seek validation or i go into fantasy or i like fantasy is like a big one of mine or i just like all of my obsessive power is like pushed into one space and it's because i'm i'm in pain you know what i mean i'm like i want some relief and like instead of turning to my to my god or whatever i'm like well there's a dick over here and that's super easy and attainable and it will work for like i don't know two to 17 minutes and then like and then afterwards i'm like uh <laughs> like i did the thing again and it's not like it's not the end of the world, but like if I continue to do that and not seek God, I will drink again. Right. That's the main reason that I'm going is because right. if I continue that behavior, first of all, I don't think that I will be able to have a relationship that is healthier than the ones I've had. And I want that. And also, like, I'll end up drinking again. And I'm like, girl, I cannot, I I don't know how long I'll last. I have much more access to things that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And like, you know what I mean? And like fentanyl is straight up killing people. The drug supply is poisoned. And so I'm like, girl, if I go out, like alcohol is my favorite thing, but that doesn't mean I didn't hoover up everything in my space. Like, I don't think I have, you know, the line of like, I might have another drunk, but I don't have another recovery. Mm -hmm. Like, and so I'm like, girl, let me take care of this. Let me stop trying to suck somebody's soul out through their dick or crack their neck open and drink their essence and let me like go to slaw and try to like try to heal in this way a little bit more and be reminded that the solution is always like i know what the solution is i always just get very distracted by shiny things is really what it is mm -hmm. yeah um 
so what so i was gonna i guess that kind of answers my next question or my my one of my final questions but um what is something you struggle with now in sobriety and relationships is there something yeah. else or is that is that the big one at this moment so the one that i see the most is relationships i like i'm being i've got a bunch of stuff i have narcolepsy and adhd so there's like health stuff that is always kind of like circling and excuse me, I'm much better at treating all of those things, much better at treating my narcolepsy and my sleep apnea, much better about treating ADHD. Still have the impulses, so like impulses to do just banana shit with ADHD um, and still horrible with money. So those are like money is coming, right? Like I can see money coming down the horizon to like attack me, but relationships like are the thing. The beginning of the year, I like did a thing I've never done before and be like, I have feelings for you to another person. Never said it before because I thought I'd spontaneously combust and die. And that like got weird, right? Like as it does, but I had been like in, like I had been really, really close friends with this person for like years, for like three years. And it got weird and was initially the reason I went to slot. I was like, I'm going to save the relationship, which is apparently what we do, right? Like people, you know, I don't know. I've heard like Al-Anons be like, I came here to save the relationship and then I ended up in AA or I came here to save the relationship and learned it was all about me. It's exactly what happened. I go there, save the relationship. Turns out it's about me. My AA sponsor's like, girl, I've been telling you that you have sex and love addiction for like two years. I was like, I'm sorry. I had self will in my ears. I couldn't hear you. And so like I started, did the steps like instantaneously and still like act out and still do the stuff right and have been going through withdraw from a human being which makes me feel like i'm physically going to die and it is awful and like i am now just at the spot where like i am not i do not feel like i am withdrawing from the person and i don't see them like they have a part two right and i don't see them as a problem i don't see them also as a god anymore like i still have like love for them but it's the be it's like the it's the actions that i miss right it's the companionship of like walking into a space and knowing how i have a partner in the space that i can like communicate with it's like going on car rides it's like that stuff that i miss so i'm separating it from the person which feels nice and has been allowed to like more God is allowed to come in, right? Mm. And I've been that like I've been doing this shit forever. Like this isn't a new development. It's not like I 20, 2018 I started to develop sex and love issues, right? Like this has been the trajectory of my life forever. Shout out to Daniel the tuba player. Um and so it's really like that is the biggest area of my life because the thing is is like that person was the person, right? I did the higher power thing and that was the person. And now I'm like, what are friends? I'm like, what? I'm like, I initially I was like, I don't like any of these people. I was like, they don't know how to do it like that person. And you want me to hang out with them? I don't like anybody. And my sponsor's like, okay. And I'm out here, I'm like, I don't have any friends. No one loves me. And people are like, girl, I've known you for six years. <laughs> like, I love you. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> They're like, I love you. And I'm like, and so I'm starting this process of learning how to deepen relationships. And it's not a thing. I'm a runner from deepening relationships. If something happens, like I just want to get out of it. Yeah. Or like, I just want to stay very, I will tell you everything you, about me that you want to know, but I still want it to be very surface because I don't want you to see me on an everyday level 
and actually get to know what I'm like. I just want to give you facts and sound bites about myself. And so that is the struggle. The struggle is me currently trying to develop deepen relationships that I have and also recognize that my value is bigger than sex and it's bigger than uh, being a sober person. Yeah. Because I'm like, that's the only value I have. My therapist was like, is that so? And I'm just like weeping. And she's like, it just sounds like you just want to exist and like have companionship in which you do that, where you're not talking about sobriety all the time and you're not thinking about having sex all the time. And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> sounds I mean, I, pretty nice, right? I mean, I know yeah, we're here like, talking about nice. sex I'm and like, sobriety, but um, right? that just that idea of just being able to exist and not have it, not have something, not have my not have my struggle and or um, uh, uh, recovery be the defining factor all the time, right? Yeah. So yeah. that, that relationships and like moving beyond, moving beyond sex, sex, sex identifying me and addiction or like defining me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just finally, what any little bits of advice for anybody listening who's trying to stay sober, get sober? Yeah, talk to the people. You have to talk to the people. Like the, the thing is, like I I might feel like I don't have deep relationships, but I know that like I also can't see myself clearly. And I do with mm-hmm. people in the fellowship. And <clears throat> for me, like, I've gone through periods of like, I'm like, am I atheist where I believe there isn't? Am I, and that's like usually seconds, honestly, because agnosticism is a space that I spend more time in and then like wholehearted believing. In any of those states, talking to people gives me stuff that I need to hear, whether I think it's being channeled directly by source or not. And so like the fellowship and I mean, it's all three. It's the fellowship, the service, and the step work. But like, do just do it. Go to the thing. You know what I mean? Go to the meeting. It fucking sucks. And you hate that white guy. And you hate that, that woman. You hate it. It doesn't matter. Go to the meeting. Get in the car with the people. Go to the diner. Yeah. No, you don't want to go to the diner. I don't <laughs> want to go to the diner. Just go to the diner. And I know you don't want to do the coffee. I know you don't want to open the Zoom room. I just do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Just yes. <laughs> it's like one of the old guys would always say one of the means like, you just got to do the deal. So when you're yeah. doing the deal, just do the deal. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not for people that want it. It's not for people that, what is it? I can't even remember. There's like it's for people that it's need not it. For people that want it. It's not for people that need it. It's for people that do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm yes. Like, Ooh, do it. <laughs> and I'm like, you know. Yeah. Well, Ooh, Cam, I will yes. say, let me one thing mm-hmm. so i so when i don't want to go to meetings because it's usually about an hour before a meeting because i'm still doing zoom and i'm like in bed and i'm watching like fraser for the 76th time and i'm like i don't want to go i literally am like god will you give me the willingness to go and i like pout about it for a half hour and then i mm-hmm. log into the and i don't know what that is i don't know if that's a higher power i don't know if that's me like psyching myself out but it helps so if it might it might help you whoever if not all right. <laughs> Please give me the power to go to the meeting. Right? I'm like, just 
I'm already in bed. Like it could not get easier. I have I have meetings bookmarked. They're bookmarked. Just click on the meeting. Ugh. Yes. When you say Fraser, all I keep thinking about is the way that Niall says Daphne. Daphne. <laughs> it's entirely when I watch the show. That's like, oh God. Ugh, what a storyline. <laughs> he smells her hair. Oh, ridiculous. Cam, thank you so much. This was a blast. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for thanks for asking and thanks for having me. You bet. <laughs> thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>